go out by myself to have a cup of coffee. I like to read the little newspapers and free little things they give you to read at coffee shops because they're often filled with such unique little stories. This week I read one in Airdrie when I stopped for a coffee. I share it with you. A little old lady answered a knock on the door one day only to be confronted by a well-dressed young man carrying a vacuum cleaner. People my age, we might remember that. Good morning, said the young man. If I could take a couple of minutes of your time, I would like to demonstrate the very latest and high-powered vacuum cleaners. Go away, the old lady said. I haven't got any money, and she proceeded to close the door. Quick as a flash, the young man managed to wedge his foot in the door and push it wide open. Don't be so hasty, he said. Not until you've at least seen my demonstration. And with that, he emptied a bucket of horse manure on the hallway rug. If this vacuum doesn't, does not remove all traces of this horse manure, ma'am, I will personally eat the remainder. Well, she said, I hope you've got a good appetite because the electricity was just turned off. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. Amazing. I'm going to show a video in a moment. Before we move, let's just pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for all that you are allowing us to do in your kingdom day by day. And I thank you, Father, for this weekend and for those who have joined us. But my heart also reaches out for those in our church family who are off traveling, and I pray for safety and security for their families. But not only that, an enjoyable time on their holiday days. But Holy Spirit, lest they not forget you, I pray that you would wrap your arms around them and cause them to worship wherever they might be and that your creation might be their scriptures. And so, Father, be with them, and as we study your word this morning, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, and we ask you to proceed into our hearts so that the truth may land on fertile soil. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Enjoy this video for a moment. They line up at the one-yard line. West Porter's going to take a snap. They're going to run it. You gotta kick it, man. David! I need a 51 yard field goal. Coach, I can't kick that far. David, they've been stopping the run of the pass all night. You're my best option. Coach, the farthest I've ever kicked is a 39 yarder. There's no way I can kick a 51 yard field goal. I believe you can. Your job is to do the best you can and leave the results up to God. I need you on that field. Our field goal unit! Grant, we've gotta throw it. He can't kick it from there. It's too far. No, it's not. What are you doing? I'm preparing for rain. 
I don't understand this, but with two seconds left on the clock, Coach Grant Taylor and the Shallow Eagles are putting the game in the hands of a 145-pound backup kicker. This is not a good move on Grant Taylor's part. He even has to kick into the wind. He's not ready, Granny. Don't think he can do it. I don't have any more timeouts. Call a timeout, Bobby Lee. This kid can't kick that far. Call that timeout. Call a timeout anyway, and let's ice him. Hey, come here. David, you're telling yourself you're going to miss this kick. Coach, it's too far. Listen to me. Do you think God could help you make this kick? Do you believe it, David? Yeah, if he wants to. So do I. But you have got to give me your best and leave the rest up to him. Will you do that for me? David, whether you make this field goal or not, we're going to praise him. But don't you walk off this field having done any less than your best. That is an exciting ending to a movie called Facing the Giants. I started this exhortation series 12 messages ago with an illustration from the same film, Preparing for the Rain. I think you'll notice in there he said again, I'm preparing for the rain. But the foundation of that little clip, to me, sets the platform for my message this morning. Lately, we have been discussing what it means for the church to be a healthy community, how we can build and maintain each other, how we can sense a community in our church. And the reality of that is that as we do that, God will bless us and it will begin to rain. As we apply the principles that we've been studying over the last 12 sessions and the last 12 sermons, along with some of Freddie's uh, pastoring and Pastor Ken, it is important that we understand, and I don't have my clip, and so we're really in trouble. Freddie, do you want to get my little thumb thing in my office? I could say, oh, maybe I don't have to. Maybe he'll keep up to me. I don't, but I, got, I have to have it, because you have to see all of Shauna's work. 
I'd be really disappointed if I couldn't show all of Shauna's work. Hi, Shauna. But in our country, social bonds have steadily declined. They're eroded over the past 40 years. People are less connected, less involved, less active in their communities. They participate less in organizations and groups of every kind than they did a generation ago. The glue that held our society together in past decades some academics called it the social capital, but it's become weaker and weaker and weaker as generations have come. Here comes my associate pastor saving me again. Turn it on, Gary. I even have battery life. There we go. That's where I'm supposed to be. I'm aware of a book by Robert Putnam, a professor of Harvard, called Bowling Alone. And in it, he documents the decline in community life in the American society. The title comes from a trivial but telling example. He was a bowler, and he says, the percentage of adults who belong to a bowling league today is only one quarter of what it used to be. The percentage of people who volunteer in political campaigns, stuffing envelopes, making phone calls, going to door to door, in today is half of what it was just a decade ago. Active members of clubs and organizations like the PTA have dropped by about 50% over the last two decades. People are visiting one another less frequently having friends over for dinner less frequently, getting together to play cards less frequently. Way to go, Shauna. In short, every objective measure of participation in civic life is declining. Several suggestions have been introduced, such as television, too much television, suburban sprawl replacing neighborhoods, dual career families, and modern technologies. And the list can go on why we think that's happening. But that's not my focus this morning. What I'm trying to correct, I'm not trying to correct society's ills. Instead, I mention these facts to make two points. First, there are forces in our society which are pulling people apart, isolating them, making it difficult for them to come together as community. And we as a church in Calgary, Alberta, in Thornhill, in the beginning of the 21st century, we are subject to the very same forces. People find it more and more difficult to be involved in church life outside of Sunday morning. And the forces of society are coming strong against the church. We have to work intentionally at building and maintaining community in the church. Or these forces, which I speak about, will isolate us as the world becomes isolated. But secondly, we have an opportunity. Although the level of connectedness between people in our society has dropped, their need for connectedness has not dropped. People still want to be part of community. They still want to find 
that relationship in a group. It's not surprising because God made us social beings. People are still hungry for fellowship. As they see, the community, as they see in our community, our love for one another, our concern and support for each other, if they see that, if they see that operative in our community, then they will want to be part of that. I don't know who's got the lights on up here, but if I could get them. I got spotlights shining in my eyes. I can't even see you. I need your feedback. Thank you. I think they turned them down from up top there. But community is vitally important, and that's what we've been speaking about over these last weeks, is building a community that we can become if we operate the exhortations. So far in the series, we looked at a number of things, members one of another. Uh, We've talked about a number of different things. Uh, Honor one another, be devoted to one another, admonish one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, which is going to be our topic today. The Bible says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Paul gave this instruction to the church at Thessalonica. From this verse, we see two encouraging things. First, encouragement does not happen naturally. Encouragement is not something that we just rush out and do on our natural instinct. Now, I want to tell you, you got a bulletin this morning. How many got one? And what was in the bulletin? A encouragement card and, and a pencil. So we're going to start a process this morning. You can even stop paying attention to me if you like. If you take your pencil and your encouragement card out and encourage somebody. Because it doesn't come naturally. And it has to be kick-started in some fashion. So this morning, I'm hoping that you will take your pencil and kick-start this principle in Thornhill Baptist Church. And I'll explain as I go along why that's important. Encouragement is not unnecessary or unimportant. So we have to ask ourselves, why is encouragement important to the church? Why is it that I emphasize this small little verse of Scripture and lay such a foundation that it is vitally important for God to bring the rain. Encouragement is important because it helps us keep the faith. Encouragement helps us keep the faith. If you haven't noticed, the world is opposed to the gospel. We need encouragement to continue standing firm for Jesus in the midst of a world that's beginning to reject him. To keep believing in something that many people consider a myth or foolishness. This world regards Christians in most cases as somewhat foolish. Guiding our lives by a bunch of fairy tales, trying to keep an out-of-date moral code, Believing things that the scientists and historians and philosophers have told them can't possibly be true. That's the world we live in. But we need to take strength from this word. 
This is the world that God says we live in. This is our world. And let's see what he says about our world. For the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? It is the power of God. It is the power of God. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. So the world might see us as foolish, but God doesn't see us foolish. He sees us as wise, spirit-filled children who he's called into his presence. John chapter 15 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I have chosen you. I have chosen you. I have chosen you not to be part of the world. That's why the world hates you, says John. I don't think the world hates us. I think they just don't want to pay any attention to us. They have no interest in us because I believe that one of the reasons they look at the church as being kind of mystic myth is because we're not operating the way the church is to operate. We're not operating those, those exhortations that Jesus calls us to. And when we do, they won't see foolishness. They'll see community. And it's community they want. How many of you like to be hated or disliked? How many like to be regarded as fools or myth believers? I don't. I don't feel very good. I don't feel that's very encouraging. Matter of fact, I think that's pretty discouraging when I start to hear it. The news media, the entertainment industry, the higher education or opinion leaders of the world are the groups most hostile to the faith. They don't just disagree, but they show open contempt for the church and for those of us who are Christ followers. Christians are routinely portrayed in the media as foolish or hypocrites, often as dangerous bigots who threaten our democratic way of life. That's not all movies. The one I just watched is pretty cool. There was a series actually done of Fireproof and Facing the Giants and a couple others in that. I recommend a movie to you to watch. I just watched it, uh, downloaded it from iTunes this week. I watched it. I have a habit of laying in my bed and watching a movie before I go to sleep on my iPad. It's kind of like a you know, tranquilizer night pill. And I, won, I, I, I watched one called The Max. It was an interesting movie about a young lady who went to be a basketball coach for a nunnery. And the nunnery was all women's college. Nunnery, nunnery is not the right word, but where nuns are, you know. Them, <laughs> Dawson knows where they are. He, well, it wasn't really a convent. It was called Immaculate. But it was just a school for girls. And... Um, Nunnery is a good word. You should put that in your diary. But uh, she went there to, to Immacula, which was a girls' school, to coach basketball, and all they had was a little storage room where they could practice. And that's all they had to practice in. And so they would go into this little room and practice, and the end of the story was that she worked with these girls. Uh, she was able to take them to the state championship. They won the state championship, 
And from that very point, a number of years ago, I think several decades ago, Immaculate Girls' School is now called Immaculate University. And it all sprung board from that event because they were about to go out of, they were about to close it, the, the fathers were going to close the, the girls' school because they didn't have the funds to keep it going. But from that, it sprung board. And so we need to understand there are, are exceptions, but generally when Jesus Christ or Christians or, or, or the Christian faith given any attention by the media, it's normally in a negative fashion. It's normally in a way that we really are just kind of bigots or, uh, as I said, we have this outdated moral code that we believe with. No one likes to be viewed that way. I don't, and I don't think you do. And so encouraging one another helps us keep the faith. When we come alongside of those who are doubting, when we, whoop, we're going, where we go? When we come alongside of those that are doubting, it's those who encourage us who are in our doubts, that encourage us to keep the faith, not, not to give up. Don't let the scorn and contempt of the world destroy you or distract you from where you're going. We need to finish the race. We need to encourage one another to believe in God and believe the very gospel that we set our, our foundation on. And that happens when we come alongside of each other and we encourage each other when we see that they're spiritually down. Our difficulty, my precious friends, is we often are afraid to express that we're down today. And it becomes difficult for us to encourage one another unless, again, we open up our vulnerability and say that things aren't that good today. I, I, I shook hands with a lady this morning. I said, how are you doing? She said, not very good. That was good because I was able to put my arm around her and, and laugh with her and encourage her. Because encouraging one another helps us keep the faith, helps us keep walking the narrow path that Jesus has called us to. And so we need to be encouragers one to another. So encouragement is important because it helps us keep faith. Secondly, encouragement is important because it is, also, it is so powerful. Encouragement is so powerful. Jesus said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But he also said that in order to follow him, we have to deny ourselves and take up his cross every day. In other words, we have to be willing to give up everything, including, if necessary, our own lives in order to follow Jesus. We have to give him the very essence of who we are. Pastor Freddie, if any of you remember his message a few weeks ago, talked about the essence of the heart. And it wasn't this little pumpy organ that he was talking about. He clearly identified that it was the very essence of who we are as people. The very essence of our mind, our body, our soul, our actions, our attitudes, our emotions make up the essence of our heart. And he's right. And encouragement means that we, we have to be willing to surrender all of that to Jesus. We have to be willing to sacrifice and suffer. Jesus said that following him is not something to be entered into lightly. He said it would, that we, that, excuse me, he warned us that we must consider the cost of doing so, and that cost is our life. Everything we have. As I'm talking to more and more people, 
I'm talking to lots of people who say, I'm a Christian. I say, good. But then when I get to talk to them about their faith, I'm beginning to realize, particularly for those of us in the older generation, they're caught between works and faith. They're caught. And many times when I talk to them, I point out that I think you're really trusting your faith or your works to have eternal life. Let me share something with you. You can trust your works to get you to heaven. You say, what, pastor? I'm glad you're going if you're telling me that. I'm glad you're out of here. Well, I tell you, the Bible, you can get there by works. The Bible tells you the passing grade. Anybody know what it is? Anybody know the verse? You shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the passing grade. There's no A plus. There's no A minus. There's no B plus. That's the passing grade. And I say to you, if you are trusting and thinking that, boy, I'm better than the next person, or I'm really trying, or I really believe that, 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 that I'm trying to be better than I was, that's great, but it's not good enough. It's not good enough. What is good enough? Faith. Faith. That's all. For by grace are you saved through faith. I want to tell you, if you're trying to be good enough, you're probably missing out on the richest blessing of your life. And that is when you accept Jesus by faith, when you invite and give all of your essence unto him, then you move forward. We need encouragement because the Christian life, where are we here? I think I'm going backwards. I'm going all kinds of backwards here. Help, Shauna. We need encouragement because the Christian life is a struggle, and I don't have that up there, and Shauna did such a good job, and I lost it. Somebody said, sorry, thank you. Christian life is important, and we need it because life is a struggle. The Bible says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangled, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set forth, for the joy before him endured the cross. Encourage one another daily. The Bible says in Hebrews, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. As long as it is called today, so that none may be hardened, hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily. Like the Boston, Boston Marathon runners, Pastor Ken is getting ready. One more week. Actually, I think a week today, he's running at 7 o'clock in the morning for his marathon, and he told me he's going to be here for church. So he's running fast. He says, maybe. 
Like the spectators at the Boston Marathon cheering on the runners, we all need encouragers. We all need those around us to, to cheer us on. We need people who stand and cheer for us when our legs feel like rubber and our chest is on fire. And we would, we would get almost anything just to be able to stop running. The cheering from the side, the yelling and the screaming and go, Ken, go, Ken, go, Ken, makes him go further and further and further. And that's the example that we have to have in our Christian faith. We have to be standing beside each other and we have to be lifting our hands and we have to be cheering you on, cheering us on and cheering you on because the life as a Christian is a struggle. It's a struggle, and we need each other to be encouraging ourselves so we can do that. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas did this on several passages. Here we go. Paul and Barnabas preached the good news in this city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Romans 11, chapter 1 says, I long to see, Paul says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you, you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other. Young Timothy was sent, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in the faith. Now, I ask you a question. Was Paul just wasting time with non, not essential stuff? After all, he had a tremendous responsibility. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. If Paul's ministry was unfaithful, the future of the Christian church would be in doubt. Paul couldn't afford to waste time on unimportant trivial matters or mushy feeling good things. Yet, time and time again, we see him not teaching or writing chapters of the Bible, but simply encouraging people. Encouraging people. Why? Because encouragement is essential to our spiritual health. Encouragement is essential to our spiritual health. And so I say to you, the Christian life is a struggle. But are you on the sidelines cheering? Are you on the sidelines encouraging each other to keep going, to run the race, to not finish, to not give up? Too many, people, too many Christians are in the ditches of the church. Why? Because they've been not encouraged to stay with it. Nobody's come alongside and encouraged them to stick in there, to hang in there. It's okay. We're going to make it. Encouragement is important because the Christian life is a struggle. And finally, encouragement is important because it's so powerful. Mark Twain said, I, can't live for t I can live for two months on a good compliment. I can live for two months on a good compliment. How do we respond when we receive a compliment? We all know how we respond. It's great. You know, I, I get, I have been so blessed by you folks. I get emails and phone calls 
and people coming into my office and encouraging me and thanking me for being here while Ken's recovering. And I like the emails because I take them home and I rush home and I show them to my wife. Say, read this. Read this. And I spend the rest of the night on a high because in compliments and encouragements is so powerful. It is so powerful. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Or Proverbs 18, 21, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. You can condemn somebody, you can destroy somebody with your tongue, or you can lift them up to the highest place with just the right words at the right time. You have this power. You have the power to be and encourage you. You have the tongue under the control of the Holy Spirit that can be used to lift people up. Our society has become a place where the tongue tears people down where gossip and, and, and things begin to destroy people, where we're filled with the Spirit of God and the tongue can be so refreshing when it's filled with encouragement. I've recognized in my life as I encourage others, I actually become more encouraged. As we express appreciation, we become thankful. As we encourage someone to trust God, or, or, faith, or own faith, or their own faith is strengthened, guess what? So is ours. As we comfort others who are suffering, we also find comfort and joy. One of the Proverbs is becoming a special one for me now. I found it this week. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Encouragement. I say to you, my brothers and sisters, that this is a vital, vital, vital part of being successful and a community-welcoming church. And encouragement can be done in many ways. Many ways. An arm around someone's shoulder. A word of, of joy and help in their life. Bearing a burden with them. A little gift. A little smile, a little prayer. Encouragement can be done in so many ways. But a church without it is a failing church. It's a church that fails. We're at the end of this series now. If we go right to the last slide, there we go. Take a clear look at these folks. If you have a, an iPhone, take a picture of it. This, this is what becoming the visible Jesus is. This is becoming the visible Jesus. And if we do those 12 things that encircle that bracelet then I believe we have prepared for the rain, and the rain will come. The rain will come. And this church will begin to fill, and this community will begin to recognize that we are truly followers of Jesus. 
I'm sorry I'm getting passionate, but that's too bad. Because this is why God called me here. This is why God called me to this church and gave me that message in my heart. And I leave it with you and I beg you to do it. Go back in the scriptures, listen to the messages, read the scriptures, underline them, and begin to do it. And when you do, it will pour rain. It will pour rain. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful that Ken's coming back. I rejoice in his return. I really do. Because I know why God brought me here. And I've finished the race. This has been my race for you. This is what God put on my heart for you. And so, we still have lots of these left. We still have lots of these left. Wear it as a reminder of that. Father in heaven, you are all that we could ever hope you to be. I love you, Holy Father. I love you, Lord Jesus. I love you, Holy Spirit. I thank you for this church. I thank you for all that has happened in the last year. It's hard to say I thank you for Ken's illness. But when we look back, God has been with Ken in a special way and walked with him through his illness. And we praise you, Holy Spirit, Holy Father, for your healing hand and for your, your walk with him in recovery. And we're grateful, Father, for his return. And we ask that you would bless him and anoint him as he goes on holidays this month. Father, fill him in his quiet time with your spirit that he can reconnect and that he can go strong and so, Father, I thank you for the privilege that you have given me and called me to this place. But, Father, it's not about me and it's not about Ken. It's about you, Jesus. And it's about your church. And it's about your community. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower each of those in this congregation to look back at this series seriously and saying, am I doing those things? Holy Spirit, walk with them, I pray. Encourage them and empower them. And go with us for the rest of this weekend. May it be ever special. For we ask it in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.